Thank you for tuning in to Calm After the Storm, Survivorship and Other Stories with Amy Syed. This episode is brought to you by 15minutesaday.ca. Today, we are going to talk to someone who's got a harrowing story about survivorship and thriving thereafterwards. We do want to start by sharing a content warning. Information shared in our podcast can be graphic in nature. We do recommend you review the details of our podcast before tuning in. We appreciate you tuning in, and we hope that the story shared with you today is inspirational and helps you get through tough times that you may be facing. Welcome again to Calm After the Storm. Welcome to Calm After the Storm, Survivorship and Other Stories with Amy Syed. Today, we have a friend and colleague who's going to take you through a very interesting journey that she's been through. This is Alison Venditti. And Alison, I want to get you to kick us off by telling us a little bit about what you do, who you are. I know you're, you live in, in Toronto. We're going through COVID-19 right now as we're recording this. So we're on Zoom. I uh, really wanted to see you in person and record this in person, but I'm glad we could do it this way. But if you can just give us a little introduction on, on everything, that's you. A little introduction. So uh, you're right. I am uh, in downtown Toronto. My name is Alison Diddy. I am the owner of Career Love which is a career coaching. I focus on working with women and mothers. And I also do a program called Ready to Return, which supports parents as they return to work after uh, maternity and paternity leave. Oh, I should also ask, I, I'm a mom of three boys. They are eight, six, and two. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what keeps me busy right now. <laughs> I know. So that's what's keeping us all busy at home right now. <laughs> That's awesome. So just to let everyone know, Allison um, and her resources will be available uh, under the podcast in our description for anybody who wants to check out Allison and see a little bit more about what she does. So Allison, um, at, here at the podcast, our listeners really like to hear the journey that you've been through. And we talk a lot about survivorship here, but I do want to start by talking a little bit about your history and your childhood as you were growing up. Could you walk us through what your childhood looked like and, you know, kind of what, what happened going into your teens and your twenties? So I was born in a suburb of Vancouver. So I'm from the West coast originally, and I was an only child until I was seven when I had my little sister, but I come from a very large family. So my mom has uh, six brothers and sisters. So I have uh, over 30 cousins. Wow. (laughs) That's amazing. Uh, Most of them are in Vancouver. You don't realize until you realize that other people don't have that, that that's a lot of people. It (laughs) is. All my family is from mostly on Vancouver Island. So we spent a ton of time on Vancouver Island and My dad was an auditor when I was little, so he traveled a lot. And my mom taught grade one. So, you know, in terms of childhood, I was like, it's pretty, pretty average. I was pretty lucky that I got to spend a lot of time with my grandparents, my cousins. Um, And when I was nine, we moved to Toronto. My dad got transferred to Toronto. So we moved there Mm -hmm. and we sort of then had sort of a split upbringing. So we would, because my mom didn't work in the summer, so we would go home to um, Vancouver Island in the summers, and then we would live in Toronto during the year. Uh, I think that was kind of the deal her and my dad probably made because we'd never, like, really, we'd never left Vancouver before that. So yeah. Uh, yeah. we went back and forth. And yeah, I guess 
so I spent most of my youth and then even all my teenage years in uh, Mississauga, actually, not Toronto, Mississauga. So I played a lot of, um, and these are in sports that shouldn't be concussion causing. So I played soccer and basketball and uh, did a lot of dancing and that. But uh, yeah, I was a busy, I was busy in high school and then uh, ended up going to U of T. So ended up downtown. Very cool. And so the three concussions you had while you were in high school, were they diagnosed as concussions? Yes. So I had, I was in a skiing accident. Um, so I had to be taken to the hospital and then I got body checked into a wall playing basketball. So I hit my head first and then I, <laughs> and, then oh my I got, gosh. and then I got thrown into a goalpost. So uh, when I was playing soccer, so they, they weren't small things and it was pretty abnormal back then to actually be diagnosed with a concussion. Usually, I was, was just like, going to say, yeah, usually yeah. They, they they didn't diagnose yeah. it. So when you were diagnosed with the concussions, and, and we're going to get a little bit yeah. to this later on in your story, yeah. but this is so important. When you were diagnosed and when you were going through those, what was the treatment regimen back then? There was none, right? Yeah. Like really, it was lie down, but don't let them fall, fall asleep. Do you know, like, yeah. Where it was like you can rest but not sleep because they yeah. didn't want like not wake up. But really, like even when I was taken from the ski hill, it was okay. Here's some Tylenol, and you know you should be back at it in a couple of days, right? And yeah, um, for that one, it was like a couple. It wasn't long, but it was more than like two weeks where I felt a bit like off. But like you know, uh, they, there was just not much, especially for like children. Like there was no yeah nothing, right? Other than take Tylenol and try not to do anything overexerting, right? Like, does it? Okay. Yeah. So, so basically, um, after that period of time, you went to university. Did you have any other concussions before your large injury happened? So I've had, so I had another one in university. Oddly enough, I had uh, another one. I was playing with my son, you know, in the they had like low hung monkey bars and I yeah. actually like stood up too fast and clomped my, my head. That was like, I actually passed out. But, the, but again, you don't, I, I didn't even go to the doctor with that one. I was just like, yeah, I feel crappy. I do that. So I've had like five, maybe six before my big one, uh, okay. which is, so I want people to know that typically when you like hit your head once, it's like, you're okay. But once you've hit your head that many times, then like things get progressively worse every time. Yeah. So, yeah. so that, that is exactly what was happening to you. Right. Every time you were hitting your head, it was progressively getting worse. Right. So now walk me through, you know, you get married, you have kids, yeah. you know, walk me through what happened with that, with that final injury. Well, I'll back it up there. I got married at 24. I married my university boyfriend or whatever. Yeah. And we ended up having, I had my first son when I was 29. Mm-hmm. And before this, and this is, we've been, I worked, um, I worked most, I did HR and I did consulting for return to work. So all of this is a bit like ironic because, you know, I had to then, I knew all of the things as they were coming at me about returning to work and about my injury before they happened. Yeah. Uh, So when I, so when I got injured, my kids were three and one. Mm -hmm. And what happened was, and like I said, this shouldn't have happened if it was a first hit, but I was in bed in the morning. And for those of you who had kids, my three-year-old bounced into our room, bounced on our bed, and then put his arms out and flung himself back. And I got the back of his head in my face. And because I was half asleep, I didn't, you know, there was no stopping any of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, so I got the full force of it and uh, he uh, cracked my cheekbone. That's how hard he hit me. And I was totally out of it. I don't actually remember much of it, but I managed to somehow... 
I got him to daycare. By the time I got to daycare, like the left side of my face was black. Uh, oh my gosh. Right. So, and they were, they were like, they knew I was not okay. So they had someone help get me home. And I thought, you know, oh, well, I've got a headache. Maybe I'll just lie down. I called in sick from work. It wasn't a big deal. Uh, and, and again, because of this sort of like history of head trauma, it's like when you get hit, you just lie down and take some Tylenol Yeah, and it, and it got like, I couldn't even get off the couch. My husband would come home at night, put me to bed. And we, I just said, you know, I just need another day. I just need another day. And, uh, a couple of days in, I, this is fun to say, I ended up having a seizure on the couch and I uh-huh. didn't actually know I was seizing, but I had, I ended up biting my tongue and I had blood all over me. And one of the other things that happens sometimes when you seize is like, you lose, like I wet myself. Yeah. So I woke up and I had a mouthful of blood and that, and I still, still didn't piece it together. Were uh, you alone when that happened? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I kind of woke up and I was like, oh, this is weird. You know, um, wipe up, clean up, don't mention it to anything. And I, yeah, it, it got progressively worse. I, and I will tell, I can, my husband ended up realizing I was having seizures because he was in the basement and I was on the main floor and I fell, had a seizure and was hitting my head, like my head was hitting the floor. Yeah. He thought I was knocking to get him up there and he came up and I was still, I was still seizing. Oh, wow. And how long was that after the actual injury happened now? It was, uh, it was probably, well, I don't really know when they started because I okay. didn't, because I wasn't with it when I was seizing, but that was like a week and a half after. Oh my um, gosh, but they assume it was crazy. before that. I like, I will say that like my injury and like my recovery was full of sort of these like magic moments. Uh, and I told you, I told you this, but I had a, a knee appointment. Okay. I, my knee mother and I had a knee appointment at Toronto rehab. Mm-hmm. And I told my husband that I had to go. I've been waiting six months for this appointment. And I went and when uh, my husband dropped me off and I went and I ended up at the outpatient clinic and the guy I ended up seeing is a neurophysiatrist. Oh, wow. (laughs) Right. And so he came, he was like, you're here for your knee. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And he was like, what happened to your face? And I was like, no, it's not a big deal. And he ended up going out and doing the like testing because now they have much more rigorous testing for um, concussions. And he said, you can't leave. You need someone to take you home. And I remember getting really mad, right? Like unnaturally mad to the point I was really upset that, you know, I was like, I don't need this. I don't do whatever. And that's another symptom I didn't understand is this like sort of uncontrollable rage. And he called my husband and was like, there is something seriously wrong with your wife. That's that sort of spearheaded all of this where I ended up doing all sorts of things. We could talk about that too. Yeah. So, so I guess the universe kind of came together for you, right? Yep. It did. And forced you to do what you should have been doing, but you just, I don't know, were you too busy? We get so busy in life, right? And we get so fixated on the things that we we think we should be doing. And it was also, you were saying, a symptom of what, what happened to you. Right, right. And I did, and you know what? I did go to the doctor, okay. like on day three. Okay. And my family doctor was like, yep, concussion. Take Tylenol, right? Like that's the, okay. that's the most, anything. Like there was no test. There was no anything. There was no you know, checking, whatever. It was just like, oh yeah, that looks like a bad bruise. Okay. Take it easy. Come back if you have problems. Right. So how did you find out your cheekbone was broken? (laughs) The neurophysiatrist who was like, hi there, you need to like have a head. Like he's like, you need many things here. Yeah. And uh, it's always like, it was cracked. 
and they, there's nothing they can do for that, right? Yeah. Like, it's a yeah. Your nose. Uh, but he ordered like every test in the book because he's, and he said to my husband, he's like, she could have a bleed, right? Yeah. Like, there's all, there's all sorts of things. Like, and for me, I know most, I'll be honest, I know a lot of this because as a return to work person, I ordered copies of my file, right? But yeah. I don't remember much of any of this happening, right? Wow. So it wasn't, you know, and it was just my husband kind of, we were both just saying, tomorrow will be better. Tomorrow will be better. You yeah. wake up tomorrow and you'll be better. And that's kind of how we functioned for several weeks, just hoping that tomorrow would be better, right? Okay. So once you got properly diagnosed and once yeah. the physiatrist did all of these tests, what what happened? What what happened next? Like, what were you experiencing? Mostly it was just like crippling headaches. So that was it. So, you know, when they talk about the dark rooms and the, you know, I like, I was so exhausted. Like I did nothing all day. And then at five, I had to go to bed at five because I was so tired. Like it was yeah. just, I was not a functioning human being at that point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we did, I did end up talking to him. Cause that's where my mind went. I said, well, you know, what point do I get help for this? And the problem when you have seizures is that they won't do any sort of rehab until you stop seizing because it's not worth it for them to like do any work <laughs> yeah. to have you forget it all. Right. So the, basically the first part was just trying to get the seizures under control. So that was just the first part. They, they were interested in nothing else other than to get me to stop seizing. So how long did that take and what can you do to stop seizing? There's nothing that you can do, right? Is it no, a natural well, med- they med- medication? Okay. So, right. so do you remember what medication you were taking at the time? So I ended up getting uh, like a really fast referral to a really terrible neurologist who okay. was like, who's like, yep, literally the, the appointment was like two minutes. And he said to me, he's like, you're, you're having seizures, try these meds. And um, I think it was Tope, what was it? Tope Max. I don't know. I went through, I went through a whole series of them because it's really yeah. trial and error yeah. to, to what's going to work. Right. Like they have no idea. Uh, I was really unhappy with him, ended up having to um, call my physiatrist. And he said, you know what? I went to school with this person who's the head of ep- epilepsy at uh, Western. Let me see if she's taking people. And I, I ended up getting a quick referral into her. And my first appointment with her was an hour and 45 minutes. So it was, she was wonderful. Still Good. is wonderful. Still see yeah. her. So yeah, it, it just takes, someone to actually like listen and pay attention and talk about because there was so many more symptoms than just the seizures. I said, well, how, like, what about the headaches? What about the, you know, like nausea that comes with the headaches? Like, how do you deal with all these things? Um, And it's really sort of just trying to get you to a place where you're physically okay before you can then do the next phase of the work. Right. Okay. So, so how long were you, were you dealing with the physical symptoms for? Probably five or six months. So for those five or six months, I guess, were you just at home? You were unable to work? Yep. I was on short-term disability and short-term disability, as you know, only lasts for a couple of weeks. And, yeah. I, and I said to my husband, because they made me apply for long-term and I said to him, don't worry, we'll appeal it when they deny me, right? Like, you know, the whole process. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. Re- my husband got the letter and he's like, you were accepted. And I said, what? And I called, I, I was like, no, this can't, because really when they just accept you onto long-term disability, like, and I, and I know I've done long-term disability. I'm like, it's head injuries, cancer, and you know, like other really bad things. And that, that sort of broke me. I said, oh my gosh, I'm a really bad case. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. they didn't even, they didn't even try. And no one called. <laughs> no, like, no yeah. one was bothering They were me. like, no, no, no. She's approved no matter what. Yeah. Right. 
so that that sort of was like a breaking point but like breaking point in sort of a, a good way because it really like jump-started me to be like I because I said to my husband I said this can't be our life this can't be my life. Like we, like, remember we still had a three and a one-year-old. Yeah. Home, right? And I was With just going like to say, who was taking care of the kids? How was that going? They were in daycare and we ended up having one of the girls from daycare, take them to daycare, like pick them up and do that. And, um, and she was our babysitter before, but she was helping whenever, you know, my husband couldn't do it or they needed to be picked up. So it was kind of like, it was really piecemeal, but we were like, I was lucky at least that I was getting LTD and that we could, we had money to, you know, do these things, but, uh, it was really, the first part felt really long. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it just, and, and really timeless. Cause I didn't really know what was going on. It was long. And so when you started coming out of this, like, how did you know you were coming out of it? What was the next stage of this? So I, even while I was like, not doing well, like as someone who did case management for years, I was like, they're doing nothing. <laughs> like They're doing nothing. So I said to my husband, I said, you know, I'm, let's put in a referral, right? Cause you can get my, yeah. so I, I just started, um, like had my husband use our family doctor to help kind of guide the stuff. And I said, you know what? The community care access center has an acquired brain injury program. Yeah. It's hard to get into, but let's see if I can do it. Cause you know, they have different criteria and I was at home and I was, didn't have a history of, you know, uh, substance abuse. Like I had all of the sort of things I said, you know, and, and it's covered by OHIP. So I said, at least I wouldn't have to talk, even talk to the insurance company if I could do some of this. Yeah. Um, and I said, but, but I probably won't be accepted. That was, you know, I said, you know, they only take very serious cases. Mm -hmm. I will probably not get accepted. And then sure enough, I got the phone call and they're like, yes, we've assigned you a case manager. And then I had another sort of like, what? (laughs) Like, why, why are you accepting me? And it was actually sort of like the best thing that ever happened to me because then I had someone and I had a case manager whose name was also Allison. So it was really easy. Who was really like fighting for who really, you know, and she said, you know, like you have small children we can, you know, we have all sorts of resources. We can, we can do this. And it was the first time somebody had really, um, but it was also the first time somebody had really gone through, had sort of taken stock of all the issues I was having, which was really overwhelming. Right. And, and it sounds like you, again, the universe was kind of pushing you in that direction, right? Yeah. Because sometimes yeah. when we're, when we're the, the person or the patient who's in the situation, especially for those of us who work in healthcare, it's very hard for us to recognize and mm-hmm. see ourselves as that person. And even after you were at this point in your journey, it sounds like person came into your life and as wonderful as she was, maybe you didn't believe it as much yourself until you were faced with this individual. Right. And they do, in order to do, um, in order to be accepted into this program, like I went with my husband and again, like, I don't remember much of this, but I met with, um, like they have an entire behavioral team, right? Like behavioral specialists who help with it. So I met with the team. I had a case manager there. I had a psychologist there. I had whatever. And I remember getting really upset, uh, Amy, because they were asking me things about like what street I lived on. I didn't know, you know, about when I grew up, I didn't know. Like my short-term memory was just it like, and it, and it was ranged. Like it was just shot. They asked me to read something. And that was the first time, like, cause I couldn't focus, like I couldn't focus my eyes. So I wasn't like watching screens or doing anything. And they were asking me to read things and I was getting really upset. And then I figured out that I couldn't read. Oh, wow. So that sucked. Yeah. Yeah. 
that was, that was the like fun. And, you know, like, look, I'm someone, I'm like, I have a history degree. I like had boxes of books that I would just say, hey, like I actually couldn't. And I thought it had been a, a visual thing. It wasn't, it was just that my mind would, couldn't get it. A lot of what we did even behaviorally was like, I had a speech and language pathologist who helped me learn to read again, which was fun. Wow. Yeah. So, so how long were you in this, uh, in this program for? And walk me through kind of what the progression of the program looks like from what you can remember. So I was assigned, so they have, um, so this is on top of like the regular stuff. So this is on top of physiatry appointments and neurology appointments. And, you know, they had a pain, like I was in a pain clinic and all sorts of other things. So the community care access center program, they come to your house, which was Mm -hmm. amazing. So I had someone coming every day for an hour at a time at the beginning, just to sort of teach me with like work with me on memory aids. Right. So I'd never had a cell phone before this wasn't that long ago, but I, but I always was like, I don't want to. And they said, you know, you need something, you need to help have reminders. I wasn't able to do things like cooking because I would forget that I was doing things. So I wasn't allowed to use the stove. Oh, and I was, um, I lost most of the use of my right arm. Wow. So as as part of the head, so it was like, um, I ended up having a nerve compression, so my arm wasn't working right. So that was like a part-time job was trying to get that back because they didn't want to do any surgery. So it was just sort of a process, but behavioral therapy was daily, Monday to Friday, uh, an hour a day. Um, and then it ramped up to an hour in the morning and an hour in the afternoon. And, and we were re- working on really, really simple things. Um, and so you'll know this, um, I was having a lot of um, emotional problems. Like I was really depressed and often what happens with head injuries is that you get like sort of uncontrolled anger, like real rage problems. Yeah. Um, yeah. My example is I'm like, I bought a cell phone and then within four days I'd thrown it against a wall. Right. Like yeah. this is sort of like, and, and it was just like this, right. I would be fine. Then I would be not fine. And it was endless. I remember being endlessly frustrated. I moved from like depressed to just frustrated and angry. And there was sort of like no in between. Mm-hmm. Um, like it didn't feel like anything was working like behavioral therapy as a as a method, like it's, it's, it takes a long time to sort of relearn some, some of these skills, yes. right? Like, you know, and it's super annoying to have to have a timer to remind you to go places and do things and have to, and I did the same thing every day, right? Like mm-hmm. same, wake up at the same time, do the same time, have a nap at the same time. So it, it felt really like, th- and I'm a person who has never depended on anybody, right? Like I was, could have been perfectly happy just living my life like that, but I was so dependent on so many people that it was, it was really hard. I think yeah, was yeah. the biggest part. Um, but that's what behavioral therapy is. And then I had speech and language on top of that once the reading became a thing. And um, then I saw, and then I saw um, a completely magnificent therapist. Her name's Karen Gann. And she only like, she's a nurse at, um, and she specializes in concussions. And then she also does like, she got her therapy license because why wouldn't you? Right. Um, and works with people with head injuries. So because both like my husband needed help too, like this was completely overwhelming and we didn't know if I would ever change. Was this who I was now? I didn't know. So it was, uh, it was a long process and this went on for like, I was in with the CCC for over a year. So over a year, you're going through this intensive therapy, you're pushing yourself through sticking it out, even though you're going up and down, your husband stuck it through with you, which is amazing yeah. as well. So 
describe to me coming out of this, like, when did you start realizing, oh my gosh, I'm improving? You know, I think it was slow. And so the, the way behavioral therapy works, I guess, is you set, set really small goals. And I always yeah. tell people, I'm like, what, let, like, let's recognize what the goals were. Like my goal was to pick my children up from school. My goal was to like make a meal by myself, uh, like, like really small things. And yeah. I was like, I just want, and I think the biggest struggle was un, for me. And they talked to me so much about this was like that. I may never be who I was. Right. Mm-hmm. I like, I am a super, super social person. I can't handle noise anymore. It's been years. I still can't. So like I used to love dancing and going out like th- like that's not going to happen. I went to a concert I almost and I left because I was like, this is brutal. Yeah. Um, so it was a bit of a mourning process for me to have to. Um, I felt like it was forcing me to become a different person. And that was not anything I had ever asked for or ever wanted. I was really happy with who I was and what I was. And that emotionally was the worst, this sort of acceptance of, you know, who am I now? Right. Like I also even because my reading was so terrible, I couldn't even go back to my job. Right. Yeah. Like I had done case management. I built return to work programs. And I think every, like my husband was just happy to, he was like, you're alive and you can function and you can care for our kids. Like maybe you just shouldn't work. And that, and that I know he was trying to be helpful. That was so not helpful. You know what I mean? Like, you were like, so uh, what did you just say? <laughs> Why would you say that to me? Right. Like, and he's like, I don't, and that was, he's like, I can say nothing. I can say nothing. Right. And I was like, well, but I haven't not worked for me. I haven't not worked since I was like 14. Yeah. Right. Like that's, and I wasn't in a position where I didn't really like what I did. Right. Like I really liked what I do, but I was still really like my brain get, got really tired really quickly. So I had to figure out a way, you know, I said to my husband, I said, if I can find something that will pay me and I can work like 10 hours a week, I will be the happiest person alive. Like yeah, happiest person alive. Just let me do that. And so I sorted out with my work and I decided we, well, we decided I wasn't coming back. And so I, that at least allowed me to like shut the door on that. Like okay. I didn't have to pretend that this was going to be a reality for me anymore. Yeah. Um, so, and then I ended up working for myself, which had you asked me five years before, if I'd ever wanted to be self-employed, I would have laughed at like laughed hysterically and been like, no, that is not what I want at all. Right. Like I, but here I am. Here, <laughs> here you am. are yeah. in all your glory. Yeah. So, right. so, so as you, as you progress through the behavioral therapy, I guess your, your uh, goals and Behavioral therapy for people who aren't familiar with it, it's just goal setting, but it's everyday goal setting. So for some people, it might be you wake up at the same time every day, um, you know, consistently for five days, and then you report back to your therapist. Um, you go to sleep at the same time every day, and you don't use your device for the last hour before you go to sleep, and you report back to your therapist. And the whole the whole purpose of behavioral therapy is to give people goals that are attainable that also build up their self efficacy, which is like feeling good that you're able to commit to these goals and carry through on them. And then you're supposed to ramp up those goals. So as you had the smaller goals and they probably started to ramp up your goals, you probably noticed that you were able to start building something back up for yourself again. Because right now, knowing you, I know you're a high high functioning individual. You're amazing, super social. Um, You know, you've got your own community that you've built around your business, which is amazing as well for me. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, what clicked when you decided to work for yourself for you? And how did you thrive off of that? How did you build that? 
And that's the thing, like I was never surrounded by anybody who worked for themselves, right? Like I didn't fully understand what that even looked like, except for the fact that in healthcare, we hire a lot of contractors, right? Like we hire a lot of people who, um, you know, physios and all the things like to do, to help us with cases. And so I started having like coffee with people because really like where I found I was thriving is when I could get one-on-one with people. Yeah. Right? Like I had a really hard time with multiple people, but I really liked one-on-one and I, you know, and it was pretty desperate to talk to someone about something other than my head injury, right? Like, please stop yeah. talking to me about <laughs> concussions or traumatic brain injuries or any of the things like, let's talk about anything else. Yes. And, um, you know, and, and I'm very lucky. I had a pretty big community. Like I worked in corporate for years, like a decade. And I had, you know, I was a super social person before and that never, that didn't change. And so I went back to people and I said, you know, what should I do? Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, what should I do? And people were really kind. So I had some ideas. And so I said, and so I said, I was doing a bit of HR work when I started out, you know, like, I think everybody I got in touch with was like, you want to do anything for us? We'll hire you. Like, tell me what you want to do. And so that was nice, but not super helpful. So I ended up doing HR for a couple small companies and I was, and I had done coaching before, like I did corporate coaching, but never one-on-one yeah. and I started coaching employees. Uh, then I started, then I got asked to pick up and like an outplacement project where they'd laid off, you know, 15 people. Yeah. I, and I said, you know, yep, I can, I can do that resumes, whatever. And I loved it. I, I started taking some of those on and then I decided, uh, then I just spent a super long not- time, like trying to come up with a name, right. Career love, right. <laughs> it's like super long time trying to come up with a name, came up with a name. And then that was sort of, it built on itself, right. Like it built on itself. And I was really lucky. The only goal in my first year of business was trying to like connect with people and that like me and you connected, right. Like, yeah. I think like in the first year, yeah. um, because even in, when I worked in corporate, I've built my career like on helping people, right? Like specifically on being kind and helping people. Like that's the only way I know how to function. Like I don't know how to like ask people for things, but I can sure give them. And that's, it's always come full circle, right? If you're willing to be very open with what you have in your experiences, then people tend to do the same. Um, And I found that as an entrepreneur, that was like multiplied by a thousand. And I don't know if it's like entrepreneurs who aren't used to like having people be nice to them or if people are just feel so alone, but uh, it sort of very quickly snowballed. Do you know what I mean? Like it just people, you know, it was a whole bunch of women who are in the same stage of life as me, having the same struggles as me talking about the same things as me. And I like, I swear to you, I think I've made more friends in the last like three, (laughs) three years than I have in my entire life. And it's, and it's incredible. It's incredible. Um, But I'll be honest, I was not very forthcoming with this story, right? Like I didn't really want people to know that this had happened because that was two years of my life that I really didn't want to talk about ever again, right? Like Mm -hmm. ever again. I just wanted it to sort of like go away. And then I think over time, like I I realized that it's a part of my story, right? Like it made me who I am. And I know there's a lot of people who have had concussions and had traumatic brain injuries that like would really be helped to know that like there, there is something on the other side, right? Like when you're in it, it feels like it, it, like, it feels like there is no end. 
And and I love that you said that. And that's why you're here today because I really, really enjoy your story. And I, and I watch your success and I celebrate your success um, that I see all over social media because you inspire people to be good and to be kind to each other. And you create that feeling of community, which, you know, um, it's hard to find sometimes, you know, we were very disenfranchised and especially these days, everyone's, you know, isolated in their homes, but it's so good to know that there's people like you out there. Um, you know, you have introduced me to countless people and um, you really bring people together. Thank you so much for sharing the story with us because I really feel that you are exemplary of thriving after something that you've survived. Every time we have a, a podcast, we do ask our guests to dedicate the episode to somebody who has not survived or somebody who you'd like to honor. Is there anybody like that in your life? In the past several years, we now know about the entire NFL. No, like this has been just for me heartbreaking, you know, knowing that these men you know, at post career, like struggled and yeah. suffered. And we know that they said like 99% of them had, you know, brain injuries. Yeah. So, you know, we hear all about the, what, when I look back and I hear about like the rage and the struggle and the difficulty yes. and the emotions and, you know, their families and their children struggling with that. I think that would be who I'm like, that is just for me, like I hold such space for that, like that so, so unfair uh, to all of them. Like I get upset talking about it, but that, that would be it. I think, I think it was, it was that study just like broke everything open, especially for things like concussion research yes. in a big way. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I'm hoping that those losses weren't in vain and that people are reflecting and changing the way that, you know, we deal with injuries in sports and how we, you know, how we work through those. That's, that's my only hope through going through all of that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so today, uh, Allison, are are you still in treatment? Like how does your, how how do things go look like for you right now? One year ago today, I had my last like official rehab appointment, official, right? Uh, I still see my neurologist once every six months. And I think that's about it. I think, you know, we had, a, I, and I'll tell other people, this is like, I actually had um, a chat with some of my doctors and, you know, I said, it's really nice that you're following up. Like, we're so lucky we live in Canada and I have doctors who follow up. And I said, but I don't want to see you anymore. <laughs> like, like I, I'm good. And coming back here reminds me of a place that I'd rather not come back to. And so I, so I said that I said, we will hold space for each other. I know that you're here if I need you, but what I need right now is to move on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you have. Yeah. I think it's very hard to be recovering and be in treatment. It sometimes um, can pull you back. So it's very important to go and it's very important to do things, but it's also very important to, you know, I was very lucky that we were able to have a dialogue and discuss why, you know, I needed things to be the way they were. And, you know, really you can talk about this some more, uh, I'm sure is like to, to add the, it's so important to advocate for yourself. So important to say, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I need, um, which can sometimes get lost in the shuffle in healthcare, right? Like where yes. people think that they want Absolutely. other things for you. So that was a big and a huge thing for me working for myself is like, you are your own advocate. Like no one else is going to stick it for you the way that you can for yourself. And that, you know, I had to learn to use my voice uh, really loudly to, to, you know, make sure that I was being understood. Right. 
Yeah, no, that's amazing. And I just also wanted to mention, uh, you had a third son through, through, oh, through yeah. this whole ordeal. Let's talk yes. about him a little bit. Um, that was a surprise. That was, a surprise. That was you <laughs> He's know, your we, bonus baby. <laughs> that was a bonus. So my, my older two were um, in school, right? So my, my second had just started school and me and my husband talked because we're going to be our 10 year anniversary and we were planning to go to Italy and it was this huge, you know, we were really excited and he was getting a new, he was interviewing for a new job when I found out I was pregnant <laughs> and I, I must've taken like 10 pregnancy tests, right? Cause I was like, this isn't <laughs> this is like $150 a pregnancy test later. And then he was like three interviews into six interviews. And I was like, I can't tell him now. So he came home and was like, I got the job. And I was like, that's great. I'm pregnant. <laughs> and like literally no words, but uh, he, he's, and so that required my neurologist to be involved with me because I was pregnant again. That's kind of why it was a bit uh, dicey, but perfectly healthy. Everybody's happy. And he's almost two, if you believe that, right? I know. I know. I can't believe it because he was a few months old when I met you. So this is amazing. Amazing story, Allison. Thank you so much for joining us today at Calm After the Storm. Um, And like I mentioned before, we're going to include all resources so people can reach out to you and see a little bit more of what you do and the business that you built uh, coming out of your experience. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Calm After the Storm, Survivorship and Other Stories. Today's episode was brought to you by 15minutesaday.ca. We look forward to hearing from you again. Feel free to leave comments and suggestions in the message area below or to reach out to our team if you feel that you are a good candidate for appearing on Calm After the Storm.